It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Of course, freezing your ass off on a big adventure can make for a good story back home in front of the fire, provided you survive to tell the tale. But regaling your friends again and again about how euphoric hypothermia can be will just make you sound like a liability. So let Outdoor Research help you keep that core temperature up and the epics to a useful minimum. Look to OR for base layers, mid layers, and some of the best active outer layers like the Ferrosi Grid and the Ascendant Hoodie. And then, wrap it all up in a down piece from the Transcendent line. Mmm, toasty. Outdoor Research brings you rugged innovation all backed by the infinite guarantee. Check it all out at OutdoorResearch.com and use their handy locator to find a local shop. Outdoor Research is a proud sponsor of the Runout Podcast. The author Joan Didion once observed that grief, when it comes, is like nothing we expect it to be. Two years ago this week, Inga Perkins and Hayden Kennedy, who's one of my best friends, died. The news of their death was just devastating in a way that I'd never experienced. I found myself thrashing, unable to stand, also unable to lie down, just sobbing uncontrollably. It was as if some unseen hand had flipped a switch and was now in complete control of my body. This uncanny loss of my own physical autonomy continued, in spasms and waves throughout the day, and the next day and the day after that. Grief is a full-body experience. Upon finding out this news, my wife Jen and I and our daughter Piper met Chris Caloose and his son Miles, and we hiked up Red Hill which is a popular hiking trail that overlooks Carbondale and provides a direct line of sight down to the Kennedy household where Hayden grew up. It was the first snow of the year, which in part explained the circumstances of this tragedy. Inga was buried in an avalanche in the Montana backcountry. Hayden survived the avalanche, but he was so overcome by guilt and grief that his sweet Inga was gone. He went home and took his own life later that night. As I record this, I'm looking out my window as the first snowflakes of the year are falling. Life moves in these strange cycles. Each year I get a little older and my list of friends who have died from climbing gets a little bit longer. I'd never really understood what grief was until Hayden was gone. It's an emotion like love. You don't know what it is until it happens to you. And like love, grief is the other side of that emotional coin, which retains such an incredible power over us. You cannot control or command who you love, and the same can be said of who you will grieve when they're gone. It's an emotion that commands awe and respect, and mostly, it's just an honor to feel that deeply about anyone. This week, Chris and I are speaking to Madeline Sorkin and Henna Taylor, two wonderful people and the dynamic wife and wife duo who are behind the Climbing Grief Fund, an initiative to provide support to climbers through increasing access to mental health care, as well as advancing the conversations around grief. That we had this conversation right on the anniversary of Hayden and Inga's deaths was completely coincidental, but certainly lucky, at least for Chris and I, because we got to talk about Hayden and grief in general. The first snow of the year may always be tough, 
We know that more storms lie ahead, but there's something to be said for embracing that inevitability with a certain stoic mindset, which isn't to say a suppression of emotion, but an open embrace of it, and a reminder to just be humble to a force that can overcome your entire being. Ironically, this can be what makes us feel most alive. That's actually really is a theme about how theme, we're yeah. like talking about various things of child rearing and adventures of being 50 almost. <laughs> Although you're not even close, are you? I'm 10 years younger, yeah, but I'm, years younger, I'm so. in some ways 20 years older than you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. <laughs> um, I'm the guy that bought the one wheel. Um, so yeah, so you got to ride the one wheel. I got to ride it. Yeah. So yeah. The, back to the the midlife crisis discussion from last episode. Um, the one wheel has been uh, has been out on the road. And, and what did Jen say? I looked like a startup bro. Oh yeah, like yeah. On, it looks like way. she said you look like you're on the way to your startup <laughs> <laughs> with my big green helmet on. Yeah, and, totally. And button down shirt. They're, they're super hip like that. Maybe that can be the future growth sector in Newcastle where you live. It'll <laughs> yeah. help turn it towards a happening place. That's all it took was one guy shows up in a one wheel yeah. and pretty soon there's billions of dollars of tech investment in yeah, Newcastle. There's, there's just bougie coffee shops everywhere and, and an Apple store. That's starting to happen actually. Yeah. The bougie coffee shops. I say bring it. Yeah. I'd move here if I saw that. Yeah. It's the only reason we're not looking is because there's no coffee shop right <laughs> there's a diner that you guys spent the morning in so yeah so anyway the the how was your one wheel experience um at first it was awkward because i had to uh remember riding a skateboard which i haven't done in about 25 years um maybe more but then it became a part of me and it just flowed like water over the pavement mm -hmm. yeah i know and you're you're probably already been online looking for one they get they get the, their hooks in you yeah the box when you open it up the flap inside says something like, your life just got better. <laughs> and you're like, yes, I needed this. <laughs> it's, I was out last night. I, after these, they all went home, I got back on the one wheel and rode around at night. And uh, it reminded me of college. I used to be a, a inline skater. Uh, and that's what I would do in the middle of the night in college was just put on the headphones, listen to some Iron Maiden and go rage. So, <laughs> Rollerblades. Yes, rollerblades. Thank you. They were actually rollerblades at the time. All right, let's talk about these two guests that have just piped into the intro, um, not waiting for their cue. <laughs> Today we have uh, Madeline Sorkin and Henna Taylor, and they are here to talk about something that the American Alpine Club is working with them about a grief fund. And uh, we're going to get into what exactly that is. But welcome to the Runout Studios. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us here. Let's just start right off with uh, what the concept is around what you're calling the Grief Fund. Yeah, this is Madeline. I'm highly caffeinated, thanks to Andrew. And the Climbing Grief Fund is working to evolve the conversation around grief and trauma and connect individuals to mental health services through our online directory that is coming and individual therapy grants, which are also coming in January. 
So those are the main main two things uh, that grants, we're really focused on. Grants being for uh, seeking help? Individuals seeking help who don't have the financial resources and then developing that mental health directory that anybody can access for a variety of reasons, uh, but is being developed specifically in regards to grief and trauma and mental health professionals who have some understanding of climbing. So can you talk about the, uh, like the germ of the concept when, what prompted you specifically, or if you're working with other people, uh, when did this concept, uh, emerge in your mind? I was climbing in the wind river range actually in 2017 in the summer. And my wife, Hannah, who's here, was in there, and my good friend, Kate Rutherford. And Kate and I were climbing, and Hannah was fishing and filming us some. And there was a death that occurred climbing-related in there. A man fell while down climbing, and his partner actually self-rescued herself. He fell about 600 feet and died. She finished rappelling and um, came screaming for help. And us and a Knowles group actually in there were part of the rescue effort and we ended up walking out with her. She was on a live your dream grant for the American Alpine club. And it really rang home for me, you know, what are organizations like the American Alpine club and companies who send athletes into areas. You know, I've been on the professional climbing side of things and seen a lot of stoke about going on trips supporting athletes doing cutting edge things and they don't always return and what kind of support is there for the people who love them. Following that summer, I started talking with Phil Powers at the American Alpine Club about starting some sort of grant program. American Alpine Club is a place that has grants. What kind of what kind of services could we have housed at the American Alpine Club, which is supposed to be this center place for our climbing community? We were talking about that, and then that fall is when Inga Perkins and Hayden Kennedy died, and uh, Quinn Brett lost the use of her legs in a climbing accident. And those were those were deaths and uh, life changes that really impacted me and my closer climbing community, uh, and so. For me personally, I felt very impacted and staring at my void or staring into the void more and really looking outside of climbing to help support me with that. I think that I found a lot outside of climbing to help support me with that. And I really wanted to bring more into our climbing community that uh, made resources more accessible for people. So Hannah, when you're a little bit outside looking in, in terms of professional climbing anyway, Madeline's a professional climber. As this was sort of coming together in Madeline's mind, what were your thoughts about it? Uh, yeah, this is Hannah speaking now, in case you can't tell the difference between her voices. They will now. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Moving forward. So I'm I'm not directly involved in the pro climbing scene so much, but I have been climbing since I was nine, um, growing up in Boulder. I think I understand climbing in a way that puts me in a really wonderful position to watch it, which makes the filming of it and the photography of it really fun for me. 
So when I was there watching the fall, the rescue happen and listening to Madeline and, you know, being Madeline's partner, I also get all of the whole process. It really seemed potent. And I recognized that she was very much speaking to an out to an element that I had never experienced in the climbing community that I had been a part of. As a filmmaker, I'm constantly looking for the best ways of communicating something. Um, and I recognized really early on that this was going to need communication, that this was going to need, you know, people were going to have to be able to hear this and see this and see themselves in it somehow, even though there will be all sorts of resistance to it because that's, that's what we do with this type of thing is we resist. I resist. Madeline was resisting. It's totally natural. So I started hearing her talk about this fund and I automatically had this vision of a campaign to communicate the fund and the resources because if there's no, nobody saying what is out there, it's hard to get people to come and know to, to come and use the resources. And at the same time, if they, I feel that if they can't see themselves using the resources before they're using them, they're not going to choose to use them. And so I started trying to come up with ways of bridging that gap. I'd like to talk about the what grief is, and maybe you could define what grief is. And to me, there's many different flavors of grief. And I've noticed that through all of the death that happens in the outdoor, particularly climbing worlds, you know, you it's, it, there's that um, saying that the longer you climb, the more dead people you know. Um, and that's really true for many of us. Um, and so, you know, you've being a climber of 20 years now, I've had lots of people close to me die and also lots of people who I sort of casually know die and then people who I'm just familiar with their names die. And so I've experienced this um, thing called grief on a lot of different levels. Um, maybe you could just talk about or just give any insights into what grief is because I'm not even sure how I would define that myself. I've been trying to educate myself on what is grief and how grief and trauma are different. Um, I understand grief to be a natural response to any unwanted change or loss. And in that vein, it can be in response to getting older. It can be in response to losing a friend. It can be in response to an injury. It can impact you on a number of levels. And that's why I think climbing is really interesting because climbing is such an identity part for us that you can be impacted on so many different levels of yourself if you witness somebody falling and maybe that triggers some response in you uh, about your own mortality or fragility. Do you think that there's something, um, you know, in terms of what you what you're talking about with the grief fund, you know, it's specifically aimed at climbers. Um, it's part of the Alpine club. You know, you were starting to get at it. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you an avenue to talk about it here, you know, specifically to climbing that makes it a little bit different than, you know, say my relative passing away, you know, from old age or, 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 a, or an illness. When, when you talk about this grief fund, you think there's something that is targeted in climbers that makes this, the delivery of, of some sort of grief counseling or anything a little bit different. I do. And I've been really thankful to be working with a number of therapists on this climbing grief fund project. 
and their articulations of this identity piece is helpful to understand that we can feel really impacted as people who subscribe to this identity of climbing by even somebody that we didn't know. I mean, the number of people who said they felt really impacted by Hayden's suicide is really significant because a lot of people didn't know Hayden Kennedy and, and on a personal level, but something about his story really resonated with him. And that could have been a number of things about his particular story. Same with Quinn Brett and her fall. Other people who engage in that risk for themselves and those aspirations for themselves in climbing, who subscribe to the mythology that we subscribe to, go climb in Yosemite, they're going to be impacted in a way that's perhaps hard to articulate because their identity is like integrated climbing on a number of levels. And so maybe they live out of their car and it's just their whole thing or it's or it's the thing that they do to regulate themselves throughout their week but i do i do think it it takes maybe soft gloves or something to like really to really embrace that part that says this part of you is impacted and it's not just as easy as uh not going climbing anymore or what have you i think that's where People have often felt like, oh, therapy doesn't work for me, or there isn't a support group that would understand me or what have you, because they don't understand the climbing piece. I think there's something really potent in the climbing community. And I think this can be said also for kayakers or for paragliders too, but being a part of the climbing community, we're making a climbing fund, um, that it's a choice that we're doing. You know, grandmother dying because of cancer or partner being hit by a car isn't something you're, I mean, you're making a choice to drive, so that's a thing, but it's something that, you know, climbers are constantly engaging in and they're constantly grappling with the fact that I'm making this choice and and then these things happen and I think there's something really potent in that choice that when something wrong happens, there's a there's an accountability that adds to the layer of complexity to loss. I don't know exactly what it is. I can't define it. I don't think it's definable by any one person, but the choice to be a climber, to go rock climbing at whatever level you're doing that, I think that really adds a lot of complexity to to the loss and the grief. The choice to keep doing it, even after you've lost 20 people, two people, one person, There's there are layers to that that are different than your grandma dying. And I think that it's important to say that grief is undefinable, but it is absolutely not trauma. Grief and trauma are two different things, and we would really like to help to create that boundary and that distance between the two. Grief is a natural process that everybody will go through in their life to some degree, whether in the climbing community or not. And it's something that our ancestors have gone through and everybody coming you know, behind us will go through. And it's important to say that because it's natural and it should be happening. Grief is okay. And, and, and there's potential in grief when people don't have the resilience and the, the resources to go through that process in whatever way they need to, it can then become trauma. And that leads to a whole lot of things down the road. And that's something that I think that we really want to help 
with on a community level, which is to try to keep grief grief and, and try to support it to not become trauma. It's okay if it does become trauma and it's in, that's in its own category, but grief is okay. And I think we want to help build the resiliency in this community to keep it grief and to keep that okay. And you can also go online uh, and look at it our psychoeducational resources, which include a psychiatrist that you filmed, Hannah, talking about what is grief, what is trauma, what is a stress injury. These words and categories that I think will help us as a community uh, move forward with them and understand how to identify where we are on our stress continuum and how to really recover and get back to the the green side of the stress continuum instead of being in the red in trauma or what have you understanding that you can get back to the green, I think will help us learn how to support one another and support ourselves in that process. Uh, One thing you said, Madeline, that I just wanted to put a flag on, which I found interesting um, is the idea that what happened to Quinn, her accident could be a catalyst for grief I, I guess I hadn't considered that because she's not dead, but you know, the the climbing part of her life is is not, you know, currently with us anymore. Maybe never will be again. Um, and so that sense of loss, I think, for you know, fans and friends of Quinn could potentially manifest as grief. Is that correct? Is uh, reading into what you were saying? Definitely. Yeah. That. Yeah. There's there's significant loss there, mm-hmm. and and I would add loss for Quinn, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first and foremost, and so much. Right, and death right. for Quinn, right? And I think that's that expanding that understanding of death. I really like this Rilke quote that's about. I'm not I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but that talks about our life as a series of small deaths, preparing for our you know, our great death and how important that process is. As we age, we go through small deaths. Quinn has gone through a really profound death in her life, um, is my is my perception, or is going through. And a number of us look at that and are potentially terrified or want to push it away or what have you. Like, I could never go through that. You know, comments are not uncommon, I feel like, of somebody who's like, if I was paralyzed, I would not want to live anymore. Those kind of comments, right? And so I think there's a real death there that it has to be gone through in order to live live a full life again. Another thing that we started talking about that I just want to zero in on is the climbing community's reception to deaths. And there's an interesting phenomenon that kind of seems to date back to uh, uh, Johnny, Micah, and Wade and their deaths and how that there was this public display of grieving that kind of overwhelmed, this particularly Boulder, but the entire climbing world at large. You know, and you see this same kind of uh, public display blaze of grief around celebrities like Princess Diana or something like that. And it, it's in some ways, you know, it seems to be a, a way for people to feel connected to each other and to be part of the climbing community and to maybe rally or coalesce around a certain set of values or beliefs that the, the person who died held. 
And then I think as you get, you draw the circles, you know, closer together and, and smaller the, to that person's life, you know, you get to this inner circle of people for whom the, um, the grief is profound in a way that no one else can understand. And it's hard not to be having been a person who's stood both within that inner circle as well as on the outer circles. There's a part of me that's hard, uh, that has a hard time not feeling cynical toward people in the outer circles when you're in the inner circle. Um, it, it almost cheapens the person's life in some way. But I also see that as a way to just that the, the people need to have that connection and and that there's some good to it as well. Um, I don't know if you want to, if that sparks any thoughts that you want to comment on. I mean, I think that really speaks to this part of understanding grief as universal and also deeply personal and how you can have this outpouring of public emotion or you know greater circles who are expressing a grieving process and coming together around this loss and then you have this inner circle that's so individually impacted by this loss that's almost inexpressible and really different in a way than that that public outer circle I think that makes sense that it would be hard from the inner circle in a way to not um, to not have it feel potentially cheapened, especially by the way that we maybe are doing death in our culture. Perhaps that's part of it. I'm not sure. I, I wonder. I think our memorials are this wonderful opportunity for people to come together. Um, uh, and also, is that all we're doing? Right. And it's like that that's a question that I guess I've held more of how how we are continually presencing this part of our lives because it's such a ongoing part of our lives and then how we're supporting people going through that more acute grief because it is different than, you know, I think when you get lumped all together in that one community that that can probably feel challenging for that uh for that inner circle yeah is, is there a right way to grieve publicly i guess i mean it's a question that we maybe have to grapple with more and more now that we have you know social media and everyone has a giant platform of you know thousands and hundreds of people who follow them and the way that they choose to grieve on social media or, you know, publicly through their channels can potentially have impacts on those in the, in the inner circle, you know, so to speak. Is that, I guess that's something I, w I don't know if there's an answer to, but I would just want to, I, I guess that's something that me maybe we need to be more conscious of. I don't know if you agree with that. Well, there's a, there's a, another part to that. And it goes back to this professional climber thing and something you said in the beginning that one of the things that you originally we're sort of grappling with is the fact that these organizations one the AAC in the case of the of the live your dream fund is that what it was called or grant yeah, yeah. they're small yeah. individual grants yeah or you know in the case of talk about being cynical in the case of a company like the north face who has or black diamond or anybody who has a climbing team and 
you know, there's always been this question of like, well, what, what influenced those people to go out and do that thing that they did? Was it completely from their heart or was it part of a professional impetus to, to climb harder, to go faster, to, to be bigger? Then the grieving, you know, afterwards is it's really hard to see, or I'm sure it's really hard for companies to navigate. What do we say about this without, I mean, it's, you know, without, well, it's so one sided. Seeming even more culpable of of what happened out there, you it, know, in 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 terms of of Conrad Anchor, you know, some sort of quote about sending these guys out to sell raincoats, right. you know, in, in the case of uh, of the death in Canada, uh, Jess Raskelly, uh, David Lama, and Hans Orgauer. Well, it's it's so one sided because when um, when people you know achieve great things in climbing and they're taking huge risks and it's all celebration, you know, it's not any, whoa, I mean, you could have died, you know, and you mean when you succeed, yeah, when you succeed. Yeah. yeah. But when you die, good job. but you know what, you could have died. Yeah. But then when you, when someone does die, then there are all of a sudden, all of these profound questions creep in and it's like, well, you know, we should have been fucking talking about that earlier. You know, why is it only now that we have these discussions and it, it does feel a bit, like we're deluding ourselves. Oh, we are. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the, like the, the thing that makes it a little different for, you know, climbers, kayakers, some of these other uh, dangerous outdoor extreme sports, whatever you want to call them is that we are deluding ourselves. I mean, I think it's human to think that I'm never going to die or it's not going to happen to me, whether it's a car crash, whether it's anything else. If you're playing the game, you definitely believe that you're not going to be the one that's going to screw up or, you know, misread the avalanche terrain or whatever. Well, so de- when it, when it shatters, I think it's a pretty heavy impact. It's so hard for us to talk about death. And I've found that because, uh, I, or I see that in the work I do as a journalist when I've had to write about, you know, famous athletes dying in the mountains where there's, um, you know, just PR people for, you know, park service and stuff like that. They're very cautious about, well, we need to alert the families and we need to, you know, we have to be cautious about how we talk about this. And part of me is like, what, why this person's dead first of all. So why are we trying to treat death? Like it's like this fragile little thing that we can't talk about, or if we talk about it in the wrong way that it's going to, you know, offend families and people close to them. And I think that we need to be able to have open conversations about, death and and on the one hand treat it like a part of life you know like it it is just something that happens to all of us so why are we treating it like it's this thing that we can't talk about or it needs to be dealt with fragilely lest anyone's feelings get hurt you know we need the more that we can put it out into the open maybe the better prepared we are for when we are in that inner circle and death you know comes to us in our lives. Well, that, that really speaks to the, the visibility arm of this. Um, and so something that came up for me when you were talking about, you know, the outer circles and the inner circles and the, the rise up of support. And then it kind of fizzles out and there's that, you know, memorial and everybody drinks beer and cries and then goes home and kind of forgets about it and pushes really hard the next day, maybe harder the next day because of it. I think that what the Climbing Grief Fund is trying to do is create longevity 
for that process for anybody who wants it, that there is that upswell of support. And I think that's an important part. It's something we do naturally. I think in every culture you look at, you'll see that. And I think that's important. Um, and then what happens when the crowds go away for anybody who needs the support? I think something that Madeline, you were saying you didn't see or were frustrated with is that after that, there's this vacant space of, well, what now? One year down, six six months down the road, one year down the road, five years down the road. Something that we're hearing from everybody is that grief never ends. It's not something you get over or get through. It's something that you integrate into your life. And that seems to be a truth. How people integrate it seems to be totally all over the board. And there is no right way. And I think it's important to constantly be hammering that into people that there is no right way. And that's the point. Just like there's no right way to draw a face. If you have a pencil and a piece of paper, everybody's going to come up with their own version of a face. And that's what we get to do with our prefrontal lobe as human beings is create. The grief process is very similar, um, it seems. And so that visibility that I feel like I have really taken on in this is really trying to represent that so that when it comes up for somebody, they have an example of there is no right way and you have total permission to make it up because that's all you have going for you. Yeah, they can they can watch a whole bunch of people talk very uh, astutely about it, very remotely, very clinically, and then they can watch Chris Kalus just blubber on the camera for whatever it was, like seemed like six hours. <laughs> that's yeah, the plan. It's a great it's a great segue actually. So yeah, yeah I'd love to talk to you about before we run out of time about like just the nuts and bolts. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. I mean I think there's a variety there's a lot of ways this conversation could go. And one aspect of the Climbing Grief Run project is this story archive project that Hannah and I have been working on. Uh and also another interviewer my friend Skyer Denny, he and I have been interviewing climbers about their experiences with grief and loss and trauma, specifically regarding the impact of that in their lives, not so much the details of an experience. Hannah has been filming and we've really wanted to create this professional, consistent looking format for these interviews. Uh, and you can say more about that. But the idea behind the story archive project is both to normalize and destigmatize and put a diversity of voices out there and also to have a platform to share your story and the potential catharsis of that and maybe chris you you did an interview with us and so you can speak to what your experience has been has anybody contacted you has anybody watched the video and said anything to you yeah that sort of thing yeah i mean it, i have a pretty you know, easily an easy conduit to talk to me through the through the Normacast, through the emails that I get there, and I have gotten several um, about that. Even though I haven't rewatched it, uh, sorry, Hannah. No, <laughs> I'll do problem. it one of these days. You don't um, have to. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I got you know feedback from that, and it's also interest. It was you know primarily about Hayden and uh, Enga, and uh, it's interesting going back to to what. Andrew said about, um, you know, public grieving or, or other, the outer circle versus inner circle is that, you know, I got hundreds of messages on the Enorma cast because Hayden had been a big part of that. You know, he'd been on several shows and, uh, I mean, hundreds, you know, 
a lot, a lot of messages from people with that exact message of, hey, I didn't know him. Or I think it was uh, Madeline that said something about like not even knowing the person, but being impacted by it. And uh, I mean, you know, Facebook and emails and, and, you know, sometimes they were hard, but overall I stood back and said that this was really great um, because everybody was so kind. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's that. The, the experience was was intense. Part of the context was that it was at the trade show, and so there I was, like do to do to do, like through the trade show, which is you know the most uninspiring, like least emotional place on the. It was planet. a bold place for us yeah. to try this out. Yeah, <laughs> like fluorescent lights and like completely you know plain uh, conference rooms, and I mean you know re- like. The holiday and conference room, most soulless place. Yeah, exactly. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, did 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 looking for room 704 or whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, here it is. And then I walk in, and it's just like dark in there. And there's, you know, you guys are all set up, and everybody's talking in hushed tones. And I was just like, you know, walking there, I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can totally talk about this. Like, it's you know, it's been a couple of years. I'm good. I'm good. And then it was just like faucet, like turns on, and uh, it was super intense. And I walked, and afterwards I walked out, and I was just like, now back in that environment, like open the door, close the door, and I'm just like all these plaid people in plaid shirts, like, hey, how's your show going? How's your show going? I was just like, it's kind of going fucked right now, you guys. Like, <laughs> I know. I think I got a text oh, from you after that. I was like. Grief stinks. I my bo is like yeah. the worst. Oh yeah, totally. Ever. I was like, oh, I can't go to another meeting smelling like this. This is heinous. And then I saw um, grief stinks. I saw I saw Literally. Sam Elias, and I, and he had this look on his face too. And I was just like, just did you just go to the grief? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of fucked up. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of fucked up. And then that was like the end of it. So, um, so we're thinking of doing it again. <laughs> Sounds like we should definitely be there Coming next year. Coming to show near you. We'll make that a regular occasion. Sounds yeah, like. yeah. Sounds like good. Mix what are you doing up. this afternoon? Oh, you know, got to go down to the grief room. P- part of, and I talked about this, part of my coping is definitely laughing and making fun of it and uh, going dark humor. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an intense experience. Um, but I, if you want to come in on that, that's cool. But I also want to make sure we get to the point where we talk about what this thing actually is going to do for people or how people access it. And, and yeah. one, one thing real quick is that you mentioned the afterwards, you know, after the memorial, we've all been to them. And, and this is in real life. The, the woman across the street from me, her husband just died. And to have her show up, you know, we don't know her really well, but you know, it's like, you could just feel it like, okay, it's all over. The memorial's over. Now I'm in my house by myself for the first time in 50 years or whatever. The climbing thing is, you know, I think of like, uh, people on the road, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the kind of underbelly dark side of the dirt bagging. Um, and that is this, I mean, most people eventually can talk about how, whether it's van life now or whatever, like there's a lot of loneliness in that. And a lot of people, can cut their economics to the bone to be climbers and you know we can get into whether they're privileged or all that sort of crap but you know they don't necessarily have a bunch of money in the bank to hit the hit up the therapist or even know how to do that and uh so i imagine when you were talking about the afterwards i just imagine you know you're in your celica which on social media is just you know you're just like i'm living my best life but the truth is is that a lot of nights a lot of periods it's like a dark kind of lonely existence out there you know 
I don't think people are saying that about Celicas these days. People live in Celicas still. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't hear about them because they don't have sweet social media accounts. <laughs> Hashtag Celica life. Hashtag. So it's coming back. Boomerang. Sorry, that was a lot to sag into, but I uh, just wanted to make, you know. Yeah, I'd like to talk a, about a to the nuts that. and bolts of the Climb and Grief Fund. And I think with the framing, too, that the Climb and Grief Fund is this grand experiment, right? At this level, we are trying to figure out how to do grief and trauma better in our community. And we have some ideas for how to do that. And we are in development. And this is a community effort. It's going to need to be a community effort. Right now, the Climbing Grief Fund is driven by myself, the founder, ostensibly the director of it. My good friend, Skyer Denny, who's a wilderness therapist and is helping a lot with the program development. Hannah Taylor, my lovely wife, who is moving the visibility arm forward with our media campaign. And several AAC staff who are working in partnership with us. And volunteers, therapist volunteers, who we're doing monthly calls at least with. So that's that's a lot of people trying to figure this out, and that's great. And what we're up to is increasing accessibility to mental health resources through this directory. And this directory will be the resources that we're aware of in our community that are already happening. So the person who started a fund for widows, for example, who lose their partners due to avalanches or mountain activities, that will be on that resource directory. And then the therapists who want to be listed nationwide, who want to work with climbers or who are working with climbers. And that in and of itself should increase accessibility. There are therapists who can be remote therapists. So if you're traveling climber and you don't want to be in one place for six months and don't want to give up that part of your identity to also do therapy that you could work with somebody remotely and maybe you're just not aware of resources so i really see the climbing grief fund is standing in as that organizing hub of what is happening and then beyond that we are offering right now grief and trauma workshops at the Cragging Classics, and that's a way for us to trial these and kind of figure out what's working, what's wanted, what makes sense there. Those are services that we hope to be able to offer to companies or organizations. Let's say they are really impacted by a specific person's death and could use a therapist coming in and running a workshop with them in particular. We're working really on those direct care services um, and hoping to trial those more in 2020. But I think the website is the most obvious place that people can go to to poke around at these resources, be in touch with us, add your name. If you're a therapist, you can add it through the website and we vet through the form that people fill out. What's on the, the website? website? It is org slash grief fund. People can donate to the Climbing Grief Fund through the American Alpine Club. There's a there's a tab you can donate to. And then we're actively looking for partner sponsors. I think a, an important message of uh, the Climbing Grief Fund to me, to, to other people thinking about 
donating and to companies considering donating is that we're really trying to create a community of support here because uh, that's reflects the inclusive and collaborative mission of the climbing grief fund that this is happening to all of us will we're all going to be impacted by grief we don't want one company just sponsoring the climbing grief fund we really want all companies participating in it and so those are really the goals moving forward so you've taken on this uh monumental project right and i was joking about how i spent 40 minutes in that room with you you and uh you know it had a pretty profound effect on me. You you both spent all day in there and you spend all this time on this fund. You're not, you know, signing off on the Live Your Dream grants and handing out money from the AAC to all these happy climbers. Are you both like keeping an eye on yourselves in terms of, you know, running this fund and dealing with these heavy subjects day after day? I guess I think less about the dealing with the heavy subjects. I see it as a honestly a source for vitality for so many people including myself uh it feels for me it it feels full of purpose at this point in time i think what i think more about is the sustainability of the climbing grief fund and having you know continuing to build professionalism into it so that it doesn't uh doesn't fizzle out just on whether or not i'm feeling passionate about right, it right. um so that's that's more what i think about for us and i think hen and i being in partnership around it is quite supportive yeah i think a huge part of resilience is agency having having something that you feel like you can actively do in a completely mysterious situation i know for me it, that it was a huge motivator for me to start working on the media side of this is to support my wife to have agency in this area of life that was completely terrifying and mysterious. And so despite us being on the receiving end of so much pain and suffering and sorrow and also really healthy sadness, there's there's a ton of that it's giving us um, just by being able to feel like we can act and give something into that that may or may not hopefully will be positive for people so agency I, I think is is a big one for that and and yeah that helps resiliency and so i think as long as we get to be doing this it'll be giving us something too well hopefully no one uh dies climbing ever again and uh <laughs> that was the last that, one yesterday that's what the, yeah, or exactly. whatever the run out is yeah. just, is the antidote to it all uh well thanks a lot for sitting down and uh and going into it and helping people understand what it is and offering the resource. Yeah. Thanks for creating it with us. We hope to have you on uh, our story archive project, Andrew, if you're interested. And yeah, I could use a good six hour cry <laughs> at the trade show. <laughs> We're here for you. Yeah. We'll In come a to dark, you. dark corner playing somber music. <laughs> If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast, or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com. <laughs>